This is The Deal with Nisim Black. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? This is Nisim Black, and thank you so much for tuning in to The Deal. I am so excited about this episode today. Joining me on today's show is the Jewish Jordan himself, Tamir Goodman. He was dubbed the Jewish Jordan by Sports Illustrated in 1999. Tamir is a former professional basketball player, and currently he's a successful entrepreneur, coach, educator, and motivational speaker. It's great to have you on the show, Tamir. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Just an absolute pleasure. A huge fan of your work, and uh, it's a great honor for me. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. By the way, you know, I've been itching to get on the court. You may have to take it easy on me. He definitely owed me a game, at least a one-on-one, uh, a 21, as we used to call it, also, too. No You're always welcome. <laughs> so let's get right into this. So you were dubbed the Jewish Jordan. The weight of that nickname must carry an enormous amount of pressure, and uh, it probably was unfair for you to have that expectation to live up to especially at such a young age. So can you talk to me about maybe the pressures of what having a nickname like that was and about being dubbed the Jewish Jordan, which is a very fly nickname, but it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Very good question. A lot of parts to it. Uh, You know, me personally, just a very private person, a very simple person. I just wanted to be a regular student athlete. But when the name came about, it was so big, so huge, so fast. You know, recently, a huge public relations expert in America who has one of the biggest PR firms told me, he said, maybe other than Will Chamberlain, Allen Iverson and LeBron James, there's never been another uh, high school basketball player with as much pressure and media tension around them as, as what I went through at such a young age. I mean, I was only like 16 or 17. They had like a list of the most uh, influential. Jews in the world, like I was ahead of the White House press secretary. Wow. And I was like 16 wow. years old. It was a lot of pressure. It wasn't something that I was comfortable with. Still not. You know, I grew up in a very proud Jewish home and I knew at a very young age, like none of this was ever about me. It was always about Hashem, always about mm-hmm. bigger things than just myself. So that allowed me as good as possible to handle the pressure because it wasn't really about me. It was about something bigger than myself. And that took a lot of the pressure off of me. And it helped me as an athlete because like if I played well, I wasn't satisfied. I was like, okay, this isn't about me. I got to keep going. I can't take a day off. And if I messed up or I played bad or whatever it was, I said, I couldn't stay down for too long because I had to pick myself up because it wasn't about me. It was about something bigger than myself. So the Judaism helped me as much as possible, even though I wasn't comfortable with with such an unbelievable uh, name and, and all the pressure that came along with it. What's crazy about it is this is before social media. You were already, quote unquote, becoming a viral sensation already at this point. I look at this like, a, not to say it's the same thing, but Macaulay Culkin, you know, some, one of these other childhood kids that grow up like famous, you know what I mean? Do you feel like you had that type of celebrity life of like these kids that grow up on like these sitcoms or big movies as a kid and then they have to grow up famous? Do you feel like you lived that type of life also? In a lot of ways I did. It wasn't social media, but it was massive media. Right, right. Back then it was like a little different because like I just use this example. Why did our generation love Michael Jordan so much? Because he lived in our heart and our mind. Why? Because you watched him do something. You internalized it. You went to the park or you went to the gym and you you worked in your imagination. What move did he do? What am I trying to learn? It was within us. Nowadays, you can watch any player do any move over and over and over again, but you're seeing so many different moves, so many different players. So it's like you're bombarded with a lot every day with social media. But back then, like if you were in the media, you read something or you heard something, it really, you internalized it because you weren't as bombarded with stuff. So I remember getting to NBA camp or getting to Adidas camp, getting to these elite camps and all the other players were already waiting for me. They already knew about 
about me. They couldn't wait right. uh, to play against me because it wasn't that they heard about me every day, but what they did read, they internalized. Right. That's why, like, if you watch the Michael Jordan documentary, the older generation, it meant so much to us because he lived with he lived within us. Right. I did not see the documentary myself yet, but I definitely had a huge chunk of Michael Jordan in my heart, and I would definitely say I don't think anybody would place the closest came to it was Kobe for me. Kobe was my guy. I never hopped on the LeBron James bandwagon. I think he is one of probably one of the greatest athletes to ever step on a basketball court, but I just, I couldn't leave. I'm so much more connected to at least Jordan and Kobe because that was my generation at the time of watching basketball. By the time LeBron came on the scene, I, I wasn't even watching sports anymore. You know, I just know he's great. So it is an interesting thing how even somebody that just plays a game and he's like, oh, it's just basketball. It's like, no, like that's your guy. And you feel very, very connected to him. So just like two things about Kobe. Uh, there was a kid that was going through, uh, he had brain tumor at the time. And my agent was Kobe's agent. And um, we we reached out to Kobe. This kid was the biggest Kobe fan. And within literally minutes, Kobe sent a personal message to the kid saying his name, everything. And he, so I just want to give his soul some some credit for that. That was a special thing. And also for me personally, it was a special day with Kobe too, because um, I just got a call from uh, the Mamba Academy, his, mm. his basketball facility in LA. They just wow. uh, they just ordered my new product. So uh, my wow. nets that I invented are going to be in his gym that just happened today. And pretty, very wow. thankful for that. And it means a lot to me that they're going to be in his gym. Wow, 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 wow. Beautiful. Touching lives. It's amazing. My next question is like this. So most high school Jewish athletes today, they know that no matter how good they are, at least they think they know, right? They recognize that they have absolutely no future of playing Division I basketball and let alone ever going to the NBA, right? And they view the sport even more as a hobby. What inspired you to believe that basketball could be more than just a hobby or just some game? And, and what do you have to say to other Jewish athletes that are also pursuing their dreams? Yeah, so even though I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home, I grew up in a really awesome home. And and if I wouldn't have grown up the way that I grew up, it probably wouldn't have happened. Like, you know, even though I grew up an Orthodox Jew, I was always in the inner city. I was always right. playing in the inner city. I grew up at the parks. I'd ride my bike to the parks and I, I would just dribble on the sideline all day until it almost got dark outside and they didn't have 10 players. So they'd let me play <laughs> just for those last couple of minutes. So I'd work on my ball handling all day long just for those couple of minutes at the nighttime where they'd let me play. And then I actually graduated from a predominantly African-American Christian school. Uh, why did I go to Christian school? Because they were Seventh-day Adventists. They, they don't play basketball mm. on Shabbat either. <laughs> I was able to go um, there. You know, also, I had the best coach in the world who never let me settle, you know, set me set me straight at a really young age. If I, if I you know, he didn't let me cut any corners. Like, if you want to reach your dreams, here's what's going to take. So you either want to do this or you don't want to do it. And I had to really pick, learn how to pick myself up at a young age. So, wow. All that and my family and my community, I, I was blessed in, in the right place at the right time. And I would say to any kids looking up, go for it. Because if Hashem gave you the talent, it's not there to ignore it. It's there to, to be pursued and do a lot of good through it. So It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's an amazing thing because people don't understand how much, not only the home life, but just that, that immediate environment, how much that has to do with the success of an individual. You know, I always grew up with that term for sure. You know, they definitely said in the black community, it takes a village to raise a child. You know what I mean? And it really does. It's not just what's going on in the home, which is probably by far the most important thing. But, you know, there's layers to a community. There's layers to a person's environment that helps them be able to be to cultivate whatever gifts they have and whatever talents to be able to grow and to even feel like, you know, sometimes the difference of feeling like I can achieve something or, or I can't actually do it 
is the people that are inside your vibe and what the mentality is like and what's been said to you even as a child, you know? You and I both have a good friend, Nate Robinson. Now, I watched Nate, you know, which I still, to this day, I stand uh, by my opinion that he was probably one of the best athletes i ever seen in my life. Yeah, he can play and do just about anything, and I still think he's a better football player than he was a basketball player. But whatever the case is, I watched this man do things that were just you know, not normal. I didn't think we're humanly possible from the time we were little kids all the way up. But, you know, him being told that he was too small, that he took that as fuel for the fire. Other people, when they hear that, they believe it. You understand what I'm saying? So sometimes you have this this individual who, who's a person of strength, like Abraham, like Avram Avino, you know, he, he was one against the rest of the world. The rest of the world believed in idols and he believed in the one true God, you know. Did you feel like you got a lot of that and you had to be fierce? A hundred percent. A couple of things. First of all, yes, Nate is one of the greatest athletes ever. Number two uh, is about the mentors. Like the basketball community has great mentorship, you know, and I, I grew up like that. Sometimes it's just the older players or players that played the NBA. You know, there's a lot of players in Baltimore that used to play in the NBA, but they in the summertime, they come back or they're older and they, they help the younger players. And I had a lot of that. I had a lot of you know, I had my biological father who was the best, but I also had a lot of spiritual fathers, you know, in the, in the right. spiritual and Judaism and also in basketball. Like just little things like I remember playing one against an ex-NBA guy that was in our community. I used to play with him on Sundays. And he would just say, like, the, la- the last person to do that move on me was Rex Chapman, you know, like an NBA player. <laughs> and it's just like you, you as a kid, you're hearing, wow, he's not joking. Like he, he's saying that for real. It's amazing what words could do from, from people that mean a lot to you. So I had that. But then at the same time, I had a tremendous amount of resilience, man. Like you can watch film of me breaking. There's one thing on YouTube right now where I I snap my wrist. I break my wrist in a game. I'm like 15 years old and I still go three for three from the floor and I don't come out, you know, just, but, but here's the thing. It wasn't because I was trying to prove anybody wrong. I didn't get my fuel from trying to prove anybody wrong. I got my fuel from trying to, to reach my potential and do what Hashem wanted. That gave me higher fuel than someone that was just trying to prove someone's ego, someone else's ego wrong. Because you try to prove someone else's ego wrong, their ego might be here. Hashem's looking right. at you all the way up here. That's where I got my, my energy, and I still have it till today. Wow, that is power. So let me ask you, when you were in high school, you were diagnosed with uh, dyslexia. So how did being dyslexic help you? Did it hurt you? Do you feel like it was a blessing? Do you feel like it was a curse? Did it affect your performance on the court as well as in the classroom? Tell me about that. Yeah, I'm very very dyslexic till today. Very, very, very dyslexic. The doctor's like, look, but it's going to help you see things on the court that other people don't see. So that Mm. was my confidence on the court. I had special Mm. vision could see things that other people weren't seeing. I love getting the guys the ball, even though they didn't even know they were open. Wow. And then they just catch the ball in school. (laughs) That was my special gift. You know, I already had so many scholarship offers athletically, but I was scared I wasn't going to be able to pass my SATs. I found out that there was like an SAT expert in our in Baltimore. So I started hustling like basketball camps, basketball clinics, getting money from that. And then I started to pay him to help me pass my SATs. And I just passed them enough to get my scholarship because I was nervous. Like in the media, they say, oh, he's got the scholarships, but he can't pass the SATs. I got passed my SATs. And once I got to school, I made Dean's List. And that's what I tell kids all the time. It has nothing to do. Being dyslexic has nothing to do with how smart you are. Right. Or the SATs don't determine how smart you are. I barely passed my SATs. But once I got my shot and I was in college, I made, Z, I made Dean's list, you know, so uh, never make yourself a victim. Work with the blessings that God gave you. Yeah, you understand you need to focus on, like for me, I need to focus on reading and writing more and work on that and put a lot of, 
you know, emphasis on that, but I also know God gave me other blessings, unique blessings. And, and that's the blessing that comes with being dyslexic. So not never make yourself a victim. Work with what you have and not instead of what you don't have. So you were originally committed to playing college for Maryland, and then you didn't end up at Maryland, right? So take me through the entire recruitment process. Why you didn't end up going to Maryland, and then what was it like to actually play, play college ball um, and your experience at uh, then? Look, I was getting a lot of Division One offers in the mail every day. And it was really exciting and it was good. But then the University of Maryland called. Now, you have to understand, I'm from Maryland, okay? And mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. University of Maryland, you're talking about Steve Francis, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, like seven guys. Wow. Like, you're talking about one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time. Like, right. and they came to watch me play. And after one game, they offered me a four-year scholarship. And the coach said, look, I'm coming back to watch you play tomorrow. Not because I have any doubts. I'm coming back to watch you play tomorrow because I just love the way you, I love watching you play. So mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. I told coach, I'm like, why would I go anywhere else? Maryland's my favorite team. I'm from Maryland. I'm going to commit to Maryland, but I'm only going to commit on one condition. I can't play on Shabbat. And that's, mm-hmm. man, but my life changed overnight after that. 700 media requests, ABC, NBC, CBS. Jerry Seinfeld did a full skit about me on Saturday Night Live. Like everyone wanted to find out like why I wasn't going to play on Shabbat. And then mm. as time getting closer, I won the MVP of the Capital Classic All-Star Game against the best players in the country. And time getting closer for me to play at Maryland. I'm, I'm playing there. I'm playing in Maryland in the summertime with, with the guys. And then coach calls me into his office and he's like, look, you can stay and play. You have a full scholarship. But based on how we see things moving forward and how we project you, we decided that if you want to stay and play, you can stay and play, but you're going to have to play on Shabbat. And I said, mm-hmm. coach, I love I love the program so much. You guys are my favorite team. But really, for Jewish people, it's Shabbat's more important than basketball. I gave him back the most sought after scholarship in the country. Mm-hmm. They go on to win the national championship. Um, and I'm left without a team until Towson mm-hmm. University calls me up. Coach is like, I'm not Jewish. Nobody on the team is Jewish, but the guys on the team asked me to come recruit you. They respect that you didn't want to play on Shabbat. You could have played at Maryland. Can we learn more about your religion? And Coach Jazz and Coach Julius Allen and the entire team, my brothers for life, managed to change the entire schedule for me so that I was able to play Division One basketball without having to play on Shabbat on Jewish holidays and, and live out my dream and wear my keep on the court. Wow. And then you say, like, what was it like? I mean, it, it was more than a dream come true. Playing against Villanova, playing against Michigan, playing against LSU, like these moments, I just thank God every single day, playing against Georgetown, that I got to live out my dream, that I got to experience that. And so much good has come in come from all of that and I'm forever thankful for that man that is amazing I'm like getting chills from hearing you talk about this because you know there is always this time that Hashem allows for you to be tested God puts us to the test to see especially people who you know have to be out there in the public whether you enjoy it or you don't you know I had a very similar situation on my way into Judaism my last album that you know, was a highly anticipated album, you know what I'm saying? At least during that time, it was even bigger than what we thought. Music stores was calling us from, you know, the other side of the country saying, how come we don't have this album? We didn't even know how much of an impact we were making. But just before that album, I decided to take nothing from the album. I toured, did everything for free in order that they would give me the right not to perform on Shabbat or at least none of Yamim Tovim. And I seen the biggest success. My single that year ended up on MTV, full rotation, like crazy things. I've seen Alex Clare's story. You know, his story's crazy also, too, of him committing also to, to Shabbat and giving up. And that God gave him back three times. He had signed to a contract for three times, I think the amount was. And I only hear from Alex. Alex's story is great. But I sat in the office at Island Records and heard it from the president himself of how he went to Alex's his his hotel room on his knees. He said, I was begging Alex to come back. 
that. I heard it from him. So you, you see the beauty of the sacrifices that we make for Hashem and the sacrifices that we make for Shabbat. I get chills from hearing these type of stories, man. I really power to you. And the brachas you got afterwards is only just the beginning. You got many more coming from it. It's an amazing thing. So while playing in Israel, you were unfortunate to be struck with multiple knee injuries that forced you to retire from the game that you love. So how hard was it to let go of the game from a player perspective and transition to being a coach or a mentor like you are now? Right. That's a great question. Uh, look, I'm always going to miss playing a game of basketball. Like, I can't right. play. It's like the thing that you love so much, you just can't do. I just can't do it anymore. The pain in my knee is so bad till today. Mm -hmm. But I'm a lot more proud that I never quit, you know, that I came right. back from three career in injuries. I still push myself to tears every day. I, I never quit early. Like, I remember when I called my wife from the locker room, my last injury, and I, that's exactly what I told her. I said, Hashem doesn't want me to play basketball anymore. I was so sure. I had full closure because, you know, I did everything and everything to go as long and as hard as I could. And I, I left it on the floor. And that even though I missed playing the game, I know that it was time. And Hashem, it, Hashem said it was it was time. So that that gave me closure. You know, even though I missed the game, I'm, I'm proud that I never quit early. And I'm, I was confident that it was time because I, I beat the odds three times, came back from three career ending injuries. Before. It wasn't like I just said I can't play anymore. You know, right. A lot of growth came through that. A lot of growth helped me reach my potential much more as a human right. being and as a person going through all that. Yeah, that, that makes me think because like sometimes when God closes one door, he opens up another door. Do you feel like there were certain powers and I don't know how to say it in English, kohot, uh, certain strengths that you didn't know that you had until after the game of basketball was out of your life? One million percent. You know, mm -hmm. if I always feel like if you hit a stumbling block, it just means you're you're, you're one, one step closer to reaching your potential. God's just giving you a springboard to get to where you need to get to. That's all it is. He's just showing you the way to get there. And without learning something along that process, you're just not going to be able to get it. And then that way, the relationships becomes more. Uh, your newfound creativity or purpose or whatever it is, is not just going through the motions. It's really a part of you. It's real. And it's something that, that lasts and always grows. And if someone just spoon feeds it to us, it's not going to be as authentic. And Tashem, everything's about the relationship. So I live that every day. Amazing. So what was it like, you know, even before the injury, playing in Israel, where you building a family and a life here in the Holy Land and developing, you know, basketball programs in the country, which you seem to be doing an amazing job at? Do you feel like that this is the purpose? Because, like, right, we're always thinking of anybody that had dream and aspirations of, like, whether it's going to the NBA, the NFL, being great, and whatever person wants to be great in. And sometimes, you know, we don't get to actually realize those goals. But as we grow, we start to realize that this is even more fulfilling. This is the cream of the crop. This is way greater than anything I could have ever wanted. Yeah, one million percent. I, I cannot tell you how magical it is every single day. Yes, I got to my wife and five kids, and they're living here, and I— I'm so thankful every single day that they get to grow up here. But what Israel has allowed me to do in the entrepreneurship space and also in like the social entrepreneurship space. I mean, we're doing basketball clinics for uh, kids who have walked here from Sudan to find a better life. I have like friends from America, you know, that have had really challenging times. You know, for example, like my friend, Michael Sweetney, who played for the Knicks. He was on mine Bialik's podcast talking about this last week for millions of people basically saying like he went through a terrible challenging times in the NBA. And I don't even want to say how bad his life got. And I just said, Hey, Mike, just come to Israel and everything's going to be all right. I brought him. He helped camp. 
you know, and since then you could ask him, it's been a changing point of his life for his family and his career and his, his professional career as well. And it all, it all comes through, through Israel and it's such a magical place. It's able to unite people and bring people together. And I am so thankful that I'm here and able to do the thing. Every day is fun for me. Every day is something exciting. Every day, incredible. Every day. And it's all stems from being here. So I'm very, very thankful for it. Do a lot of good things through basketball. It's amazing what you can do through basketball. It's incredible. I, I see it. I see it. I feel it also too. I feel the energy. You're making me happy. I have one last question. Hopefully it's not too deep. Maybe it's somewhere some people prepare for these type of questions. So growing up in high school, college, whatever, you've had many rabbis, teachers, coaches that inspired you, motivated you when times got tough. What is the most memorable thing that you can say? What gave you the biggest dose of encouragement? I remember as a kid, I was fortunate to go to Lubavitch Rebbe. That was a game changer. Walking in front of him, I have my, my, my Jordans on. Just, I, I, I'm still never experience anything like it. You know, I got to be in his house once. I got, I was at the famous Lag Bomber parade when he was waving, you know, got some dollars. Like that was a game changer forever. Still lives with me every single day, lives with me every game throughout my whole career. Uh, my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. She raised me. She just passed away. She was one of the oldest Holocaust survivors in the world, but just living with a hero every day and seeing how she chose to be happy and kind and great every single day of her life, even though she she was in the camps for four years, just the way she reacted to everything. My dad, uh, blessed memory, uh, my coach, you know, I, I was blessed to just be surrounded by the best my, my whole life, really. That's amazing. That's amazing. I thank you so much for coming on and being a part of the deal and sharing your your deal with the rest of us. Please continue to go on. I'm I'm serious, Tom Sheikh. You got to keep going. And uh, I know we keep talking. I'm gonna come down to the basketball camp. You know, I've been telling everybody. You know, every every week over here they're playing every Thursday. And Thursdays is tough for me. You know, you got five kids. You understand, six children. You know, it's Arab Shabbos already nighttime. I'm running schlepping to the stores and making sure everything. So I always had excuse. So my newest excuse was that, you know, I have a pair of J's, my Jordans, but these are for the stage. You know, I don't want them getting dirty, playing basketball and whatever. So I went and bought some and ones, but they're probably going to fall apart on the court. So I, I, I'm running out of excuses to go go play basketball, but I'm going to have to I'm going to have to come check you out. Well, I love you. I love your family. Love what you're doing. Biggest fan. Anytime you want to you want to meet up at the gym, I'm there for you. And um just continue blessings to you and your family. Only good news that the world's a lot better place because of you. So keep oh, doing what you're doing. Big Swiss. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep All right. Bye bye. Wow, wow, wow. This conversation with Tamir was amazing. I mean, he said things in there that really gave me chills. And I think the biggest thing for me is just that sacrifice for what we believe in. Standing up in the midst of a world that may disagree with what you feel, especially when it comes to faith, especially when it comes to God. We say this in our blessings after the meal, that I've never seen a righteous man poor begging and asking for bread. That if you do the right thing and you stick by God, no doubt about it, he is going to cover you, he's going to protect you. And even if you thought you wanted to achieve something, not only is he going to help you to achieve it, I'm going to give you even better. 
And I've seen that over and over again in my life. I've seen that over and over again in lives of, of friends who've had to make sacrifices. And just to see that you could take something like basketball, which you could say has no significance to it. Oh, it's just a game of different things like that. And see a person like him make a major Kiddush Hashem and a major sanctification of God's name by standing up amidst the world that may have what different to say about it. So I really, really appreciate that conversation with Tamir. I mean, he really gave me chills hearing him say what he had to say. And I'm very, very motivated by it. And I think that because of this, I want to take you guys back a little bit. I released an album in 2013, um, which was a self-titled album called Nisim. It was like my first album after, you know, my supposed uh, uh, retirement that I thought I was doing. But I ended up releasing And this was like my first single off that album. Um, and it's called Live For Now. We did like a cool video. So if you're on YouTube, you can look up Nisim Black Live For Now and like see a video for me seven years ago, eight years ago or something like that. This song is a very high energy song, but it was sort of was like a defining point for me of really finding myself and my new self. So listen to it. Hope you guys enjoy it. And until next time, only be strong and go from strength to strength and be strengthened. so much for listening to the deal with me Nisim Black this is a Soul Shop original podcast our executive producer is Josh Cross our producer is Gilad Brownstein please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at the deal with NB and subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts Spotify and wherever you get your podcast content please share this with your friends so that they can get this raw and riveting stuff from me yours truly God's name for the world 
much for the eye Different use of a pearl for a girl and a guy And why try? We all die, but we all live Worse live by, if you're still here uh, We only do what we see done A monkey see monkey do, then be one See me none, the focus More props than a now, no focus Let's change our demeanor Revise the approach, now time for a cleaner Put an eye on a coach, make time for a cleaner We the last on a lunch line No eater, and they ain't told you either They told you to sit down Put your feet up, and eat up I'll say when you see us Be one of the last ones with your freedom uh, uh. Watch you.